This is Off the Dome, Seasoned Verbal Fellatio on Love, Spirituality, and Everything in Between. This is my home of unfiltered musings from a girl that's always Brooklyn, Caribbean-rooted, sarcasm-driven, intellectually and spiritually guided. Step inside my casually unfiltered world, and let's get into the things. Hey, 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 family. What's going on? Did y'all miss me these past two weeks? I had to take a quick break because I've been working on something pretty big for my company and it required me me to be directly tapped in so I didn't have a chance to record but I'm back now and I cannot tell a lie I missed chatting with y'all and going through the love and spirituality and healing things with y'all every week has been a new revelation and I have been having a blast walking down this aisle with you so let's get into the things So I've been really delving into my inner child these past few months in like a myriad of ways, really because it's been coming up for me for years at this point. And it's not like I've been ignoring or anything like that, but I haven't necessarily been leaning into dismantling it because, well, let's see, excuse me, single mom, business owner who just closed one business and opened another caregiver black woman and so now you want me to go and have like conversations with my inner child too now you wildin fam like hardcore wildin so i ready so boom right check it (laughs) y'all miss me saying that because i'm just saying it Alright, no, but seriously. So boom, right? So I used to have these dreams and I feel like I've mentioned at some point or another that I have spiritual gifts and I may have even talked about them in previous podcasts. Like I can't really remember right now, but I think so. Like I feel like I have. But I do. I have strong intuitive gifts and I interpret dreams and I can see the future in a myriad of ways for starters. Pin that for another date though. Because I'm not planning to talk about that today. But I am going to talk about it. And also, no, do not ask me for the lotto numbers because I don't have them. But anyway, so when I would have these dreams, I would always be in the lunchroom of my elementary school. But as an adult, and sometimes I would be talking to a security guard at the door. Or sometimes I would be doing like a performance or watching a performance in the auditorium or something. And I was having them for a while. And at first, I would wake up and I'd sit there and I would be like, what are the people them? That's what I call my spiritual court, the people them. Trying to tell me. So quick sidebar about dreams and dream interpretation. 
When it comes to interpreting dreams and messages from the beyond, there are a couple of things to note, okay? From a clinically psychological perspective, dreams tend to be your subconscious either working through something that perhaps you can't quite tackle in your waking life, or perhaps addressing trauma that you've endured at one point or another, or maybe even something that you're avoiding. Sometimes it can seem like a completely nonsensical dream, maybe based on something that you watched the night before or whatever. And then there's the other side of dreams, the spiritual side. People with spiritual gifts have their gifts manifest in various ways. And dreams can be one of those ways. Like for me, I can have premonitions embed themselves in dreams about me and my subconscious thoughts. And it wasn't until I developed my abilities that I was able to figure that out. Y'all know the drill, pin that. We might not circle back today, but we are definitely finna circle back on that one. So back to the dream of me in my elementary school lunchroom as an adult, right? So I kept wondering why I kept dreaming about different things happening in my waking life, but always in this lunchroom. Why here? What was my inner child working through here? I guess now is as good a time as any to tell this particular story. Picture it. Brooklyn, New York City, 1989. It was a time for Millie Vanilli braids and fancy cornrows and bamboo earrings, at least two pair. Unless your mama was a Bayesian Virgo who was raised by a Bayesian Scorpio mother. In which case it meant that you were going to get whatever the fuck braid she put in your head. (laughs) I managed to beg for some extensions, but she decided that she was going to do them herself. (sighs) But at least I was getting them, right? I had them in for, I want to say like at least six months because I took my school pictures in them that year. Summertime came and went and it was time to take them out and do something different. So, I remember sitting in the den with my mother and she took out my braids. And I can remember feeling her sharp intake of breath as she took them out. But I also remember that I was watching TV, so I was kind of alert, but not really. Then I remember I looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw her holding the braiding hair and what looked like my actual hair in her hand. Wait a minute. So my hair came out almost completely. We're talking like 95%. And I wish I could say that I was mortified in that moment, but I wasn't. I was more worried about my mom, who was actively on the phone with my cutie, freaking what we might call the fuck out. I remember that my dad was working, and remember, no cell phones yet. So she didn't get to tell him until he got home. A few days later, after some frantic searching, we went over to Hillside Avenue in Queens, where all the wig shops were, and I got two wigs. A little orphan Annie type one, and a business in the front, party in the back, jerry curl type one. It was still giving orphan Annie, to be honest, but at least it had a ponytail that I could finesse. And let us not forget, this is still 1989, so lace front wigs do not exist yet. This is a full-blown wig on a wig cut cap on a wish and a prayer. Now, I'm sure that sounds traumatic enough for everyone, but I have to say, I don't really remember much after I got the wig and for the rest of the summer other than I learned how to put it on and I went and I enjoyed my summer. 
I couldn't really get in the pool much, but I lived in the city anyway. I wasn't too pressed about it, at least not then. Could I still go to the beach if I wanted? Yep. Can I still dance? Certainly. And so off I went about my day until the first day of school. Yes, pin that. On my parents' side, though, and I noticed when I got older how I compartmentalized this experience as a whole, as if it were different entities of the same action, there was full-blown panic. None of them had ever seen anything like it. Sure, my paternal grandmother had a weird hairline, one that I ultimately inherited, and she had the occasional bald spot, but full-blown hair loss? Nah. My mother blamed herself for the braids. She saw it as the result of them for years to come. But either way, they were off to find a solution because there was no way that they were going to let me walk around ball forever. Both of my parents and my cutie were registered nurses. So finding doctors to take me was effortless. And boy, did I go to doctors, man. And doctor after doctor told me that I should just get accustomed to not having any hair. Y'all remember my cutie from episode two, right? With the, v- the Valentine's Day and the bat? Did we really think that this Bayesian Capricorn with a Scorpio rising was going to let that go down so? Not a chance. And of course, neither were my parents for the record. But my aunt was particularly adamant about it, as she tended to be about most things. So at the time, she worked for Downstate Medical Center, which has always been cutting edge on treatments and things. And so she found me a doctor there who told us the same thing. Then a doctor at my mom's hospital, Woodhull, suggested that we go and we see a colleague of hers, Dr. Norman Orentrick, who had a son, David, that might be able to help. They were over on Park Avenue, she said, and they made their own medication in-house, so the odds were super great that they would not take insurance. But desperate times call for desperate measures, right? And there began the lifelong relationship I had with Dr. David Orentrek and the lovely practitioners at his firm. That reminds me, I gotta go pay him a visit. So, anyway, back to the first day of school. Y'all remember back in that same Valentine's Day episode where I talk about the story of my cutie and the bat? And I told you to pin that as well as the find someone cuter with hair story? So here's the circle back on that. So I'm in the lunchroom, first day of school, first day with Lewick. I'm chilling. I'm waiting in the line for lunch. I'm not really too pressed about the wig. It's ravioli day. I was here for the ravioli. The kid standing behind me was my best male friend at the time, quote unquote. But he had just made friends with one of the known troublemakers of the class. And they were whispering and giggling behind me. But again, ravioli day, right? laser focused so as i get closer to the front i hear him say i like your hair can i see it and everything else happened in slow motion him reaching for the party in the back ponytail the wig coming off most of the wig tape and all me my pretty bald head exposed to the entire school what did i do i snatched the wig back from him threw it on my head and ran for the bathroom I remember going into the middle stall of the bathroom, closing and locking the door, and sinking to sit on the floor. I was mortified. My face was hot, but I couldn't even cry. I heard the bathroom door open, and Mr. Ganji, the assistant principal, called out for me. 
She asked me if I was okay, and me, sarcastic even at seven, almost eight years old, said, I am sitting on the floor of the school bathroom. You tell me if I'm okay. Yes, that was a direct quote. I was pissed. Everything else that she said after that sounded like Charlie Brown on the water. The one thing I remember her asking me is if I wanted to sit in her office and have my lunch and wait for class. And I said to her, I am not leaving this bathroom until the day is over. And I meant it. I no longer wanted ravioli. I no longer cared to eat. And I for damn sure was not going back to anyone's class. If I had my way, I'd be going to another school. Someone else entered the bedroom, and I remember that Mr. Ganji sent them away like she sent the others away. But the girl responded, can I sit in here with her if she wants? I don't think she should be in here alone. I told her, you can stay. And so we sat in the bathroom for the next two hours until the school day was over. I know that an administrator or two came in and checked on us, and I found out later on that they stationed the security guard outside the door so that we weren't completely without supervision. And she would call into the, he would I'm sorry he would call into the bathroom every now and again to make sure that we were okay. And finally, when every single student had been confirmed exited from the school because again, was not leaving until everyone was gone. Only then did I let the security guard come in and bring me my book bag, and only then did I leave the school and meet my grandmother and my brother outside who were patiently waiting for me at the corner. I know my brother had looked at me and he was sad watching me to see if I was okay. Always the more sensitive of the two of us, I knew that he'd also told my grandmother what had happened. She was quiet, even for her. She crossed us back over and set us up in the dining room with leftover pancakes as a snack. Then she reached behind the washing machine and grabbed the Louisville Slugger bat. I remember looking up from my pancakes and remember I was starving, no lunch, and felt slight alarm. My grandmother could be quiet, she could be unassuming, with her fish cake making, blanket crocheting, rummy playing self, but baby, my grandmother was not the one. My cutie got it from somewhere and it was not my grandfather. I went to say something to her and she very calmly said, eat your pancakes and headed out. She escorted us to and from school every day for a week with that same bat. And I remember the principal came to the curb and met her and told her, you cannot be here with a bat threatening kids. And she responded, I am bringing my grandkids to school and I am their protector, especially since one of them seem to be. I guess now's a good time to mention that the kid who was my best friend, quote unquote, dared not come near me for the remainder of the year. What did happen, though, was a whole different animal and the root of much of my fight with my inner child. So throughout the first half of the year, and keep in mind now, it's still 1989 and AIDS was a massive, not yet fully understood thing, I was teased pretty badly by a core group of people. Since everyone now knew I was bald underneath the jerry curl, I was AIDS girl. I was cancer hag. And now granted, I never had issues with making or keeping friends, but it wasn't to say that they were going to be jumping in everywhere when they themselves weren't quite sure what was wrong with me. I mean, shit, even I didn't know what was wrong with me.
And now, I was always hungry. I mean, always. The therapy and the healing in me knows now that this is me trying to feel full from that pivotal moment in my childhood where everything changed. But all seven and eight-year-old Kimmy understood was that she was always hungry and lonely. I do always wonder why the school never really did anything. My parents told me that they never called them to tell them what happened and that they never really pushed the issue on their end either. I suppose it was because they were already harried enough trying simply to fix the original problem that they didn't harp on it. And I was okay, right? Fast forward. June 1990, my first dance concert ever. I had a friend who was going to dance school out in Queens on Merrick down Merrick Boulevard, Gloria Jackson Dance Studio, and I loved to dance. I used to dance around the living room, in my bedroom, all over, really. Drove my mother nuts. So I spent all of third grade begging to go. And then finally, and I think my mother really just felt bad because of the hair, she relented and enrolled me. So in June, they would do an annual concert, and man, was I excited. Excuse me. Because as it turned out, I was good. Really good. So, doing this tap number, and we had these bumblebee costumes. It was like a bumblebee leotard held up by like these two skinny straps. And though I was only eight, guess who was also a bee cup and had gotten her period as a happy birthday present? Y'all know it was me. Come on now. I know. How much can eight-year-old Kimmy take? <laughs> Just sit down and sip your beer, child. So it's concert time, and here we are performing the Bumblebee Tap. And I was concerned, you will, about the strap. I think I even mentioned it to one of the parent helpers. They poo-pooed me off. But lo and behold, not for the first time and certainly not the last over the course of my lifetime, I was absolutely correct in my concern because as I did the time step, I felt the strap first loosen, then snap completely and, you guessed it, fall, leaving one B-cup booby fully exposed. What did I do? I grabbed the costume and I pulled it up. And I finished the concert with one hand, the other securing the costume. And there was thunderous applause. My dad even caught the whole thing on film because he was filming the concert. Not because he was trying to film eight-year-old boobies. But like I said, eight-year-old Kimmy went through it. But here's the thing about that inner child and what happens when you assume that you're over something simply because you've tucked it away. Nine times out of ten... The trauma stays with you and it shows up in random alternate ways. Now you see how I done told y'all that story and you probably gasped and sucked your teeth and felt terrible for eight-year-old Kimmy? You see how you probably wondered why the fuck no one did anything to better protect me? Well, eight-year-old Kimmy wondered the exact same thing. Except eight-year-old Kimmy didn't want to upset anyone. Because think about it through the eyes of a child, right? If your parents are devastated and they blame themselves for something that happened to you as a child, you don't want anyone else to feel bad, right? Because kids are natural comforters. So what did I do? I comforted my parents and my aunt and my grandmother. And the administ as for the administration, well, they're running a whole school, right? And we all know that they've got a lot going on and I'm physically fine, right? So why make them worry more about little old me? 
And so what if I'm always hungry now? The easy solution to that is to eat. Right? I was okay. Right? Eight-year-old Kimmy has been protecting all of the iterations of Kimmy for the last 33 years. Psychologically, physically, definitely emotionally. She gotta make sure her needs are met independently because everyone else around her is stressed the fuck out. And she doesn't want to add to that. She's going to eat to satisfy the hunger she feels, even though the hunger is a phantom hunger that usually is triggered by feelings of abandonment or loneliness or rejection, and especially ridicule. She's always going to seek out the masculine energy that makes her feel protected, even if it's the bare minimum of of protection, because at least they were there to protect her while she was in a bathroom stall, literally hiding with her emotions. See how that plays out in real time? It took me years of work to piece that together. Spiritual work, psychological work, work. And can I tell you, some of it I figured out 10 minutes ago as I was recording this podcast. True story. Every day I'm learning something new about me, my trauma, how my inner child shows up for me in my waking moments. And there's so much more, so much more. So as I've been showing up for my healing, because you absolutely have to show up for it there's no magic cure or potion or pill or prayer that fixes it all despite what some of your faves may say i started having conversations with my inner child first on paper because that was the easiest thing for me the writer that i am and then i was pulled to record it finally i decided to make a video for it and post it online And the average person who sees what happens on social media might see it as me caping for attention. The beauty of it is, I really don't give a shit. I posted it for two reasons. One, for me, to release the power that it has over me. To affirm in me what has always been beautiful and whole in every space of my existence. The other reason is to let others out there who may not know where to start in their journey that they aren't alone. The new buzz wave is not about it's about not seeking validation, but that's bogus. Everyone seeks validation in some way, shape or form. And anyone who says that they're not is lying to themselves more than anything else. I said what I said. What it really is about validation, the part that's usually missing, is to not allow yourself to become a prisoner to being validating. Validated, excuse me, to do any and everything in your life. There's no one right thing for any one person. Sure, there are templates and blueprints for everyday living, be they spiritual or physical, but your life is your own to govern and move accordingly. At any rate, though, I encourage you to sit with your inner child, whatever age they are, and see what wisdom they may have and what trauma you can help them unpack and heal. Excuse me. The key is not to get stuck there trying to fix whatever happened then in the present. This is what a lot of us try to do inadvertently. Shoot, half of our primetime television program is literal inner child nostalgia playing out loud. It's why we get mad when remakes don't play out the way the original did. Try to bring the feelings to the present to try and fix it. You cannot fix what has already happened. I will say it again. You cannot fix what has already happened. It is already in the past once it has happened, the minute it's happened. 
What you can do, you can help that inner child heal from what happened, therapy. And you can make different decisions to affirm and strengthen your now, your present. I've taken the affirmations that I spoke over myself and I've made them a separate recording for you to listen to as an addendum to this podcast. Though the words are deeply personal to me, they could just as easily apply to you. Feel free to listen as many times as you desire. And with that, beloveds, I bid you happy healing. Besos, mi amores.